Welcome to the Earthside Birth Podcast, a space created with the intention to provoke independent thought in women within a culture that has conditioned her to allow others to do the thinking for her. I'm your host, Petra Mesa, a radical midwifery student, doula, mother, and a former nurse who walked away from the medical system and never looked back. I invite you, sister, to join me on an exploration of the true creative power of women on my journey into independent birth work as I dive deep into topics covering pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Merry come and merry meet beauties. In this space, there is only the intention for the highest good of all, rooted in love. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered medical advice. I am not a doctor. Pregnancy is not a disease, and birth is a physiological, non-medical event. Mary Meet Beauties, Petra here. You know, I saw this really great reel on Instagram the other day. Um, Shout out to Badass Mother Bertha. If you don't know who that is, go on Instagram, check that out. She's got really great content there. Um, And anyway, this reel is like this guy laying on a hospital bed, rolling around, screaming his head off. And the caption is a conversation between uh, an expectant mother and uh, a nurse at the hospital and the mom is saying my body is pushing I can't stop my baby's coming and the nurse just says lay back so I could check your cervix and see if it's time to push or not and on top of providing some much needed comical relief um, for a lot of people including myself it also brought up so many emotions for me and so many uh, <sighs> memories uh, of mine personally as well. Um, but it but it stirred up and brought up how often our voices, our words, our desires, our needs fall on deaf ears within the medical system and even outside of the medical system as well in our own communities um, when you are um, kind of like dealing with people that are in the same mindset um, in the same uh, having the same ideals that you know birth is a, a medical event that birth is something that you need to be saved from and you know, the fact is that people will judge you based on their own biases, their own prejudices, their belief systems, right? Their assumptions, and they'll do this all through their lens of their own trauma and their own fear. And it's one thing not to align with someone and a complete other thing to judge them for their differences. Um, but that is what I have experienced being like the foundation of, 
you know, on top of, I mean, aside from this like savior complex, godlike complex that um, so many employees in uh, the medical system have. But I mean, like, on a social level, this is the foundation in which people choose not to listen to you or hear you um, or regard you as um, equal enough to be heard or, or valued enough to be heard. And we don't need to agree on absolutely everything in order to support each other in this world. That's like a firm belief that I have. Um, you know, and I've heard doulas and birth workers uh, say, you know, I don't know if I can support someone who is fill in the blank. And while it's important to align morally and in birth philosophies, you know, when you're a birth worker, you don't have to align on absolutely everything in order to support somebody, you know? Um, I mean, and if you're incapable of doing that, then you need to call it and, you know, absolutely just represent yourself um, fully and transparently and, and call it because people deserve to be supported fully. And so if you're going to turn around and say, well, I, I don't think I could possibly support someone who is Christian or whatever, uh, or, a, or a, a different race or culture or whatever, then, I mean, what are you doing here? Do we really need to be aligned with everything? Absolutely everything? You know, um, if you're questioning how you can support somebody of a different faith, you know, the first and most easy way to do that is to learn a little something about that faith. Um, what you're, what I hear you saying is that you're not willing to learn, uh, about other people, other cultures, other beliefs. And that's a really dangerous mindset. You don't have to agree. You don't have to subscribe you know, to, to somebody else's belief. You are a being of free will. And it's just a really slippery slope and a dangerous mindset to, to make such statements like, I can't support these people. That's something that you need to kind of think about. In the medical fields, however, you don't get to really choose who your patients are generally. And so um, there is a, a clash of all of these things, all of these biases and all of these um, different beliefs and viewpoints and differences in cultures coming in that sometimes people just can't shake and can't work with. Um, and something that specifically comes up for me is ageism. And you see that all the time um, in obstetrics. On both ends of the spectrum, 
she's too young or she's too old to be here she shouldn't be here at this age she has no being uh business being pregnant at however many years old and like who made it your job to judge people like where does it say in your job title that you are supposed to be judging people on any personal level it doesn't and so I wanted to share some of my experiences um, and just kind of open up and share with you you know my background and kind of how I got on this path because I wasn't always um, like I am now of course these things um, these experiences put me on this path and I am forever grateful for them and so my first pregnancy I was very young I was 19 years old when um, when I got pregnant for the first time and that was a choice that I intentionally made Um, my son was very much wanted but I was viewed through this lens like I had just described a a minute ago where um, you know oh my god where's this girl's parents she's letting her roam the streets you know like anybody had any idea who I was Um, but in this bias that came with my age I found that there was a real lack of care in educating me at all um they never explained what they did or why um like even like the little like the routine things like going into the office and having your urine dipped and your weight taken and your blood pressure checked like they never explained to me why that was or what they were doing and another thing a a really big thing is diet they never discussed nutrition with me at all and now I was (laughs) I was in my second year of college and I was working at a deli Um, I wasn't eating like great so that's like just a fact like nobody said anything about the importance of increasing my protein or like what to avoid nothing absolutely nothing um and so I was not taking in a healthy healthy diet um I was also really overworked nobody checked in on me like emotionally at all which is like a common thing throughout obstetrics like they don't you really have the time they'll be like oh hi how are you but like you don't really sit there and talk to you and put the care into your emotional well-being Um, unless it gets to the point where you really just can't hide the um, condition that you're in and it becomes apparent and they have no choice but to address it Um, and anyway so I was also really overworked I was working two jobs I was working at that deli full-time and I was uh, working in a restaurant dishwashing part-time and so I was constantly on my feet constantly 
on my feet all day, all day and all night. Um, I wasn't sleeping enough. Uh, I was, again, I was in school uh, full time. Um, and I was not in any way prepared um, for pregnancy or, or, or birth. And I had no idea how to prepare for it. They had no intention of educating me on these things, on pregnancy, on birth, on postpartum, on any of it. I had no idea how my body was changing or what birth even really consisted of on a physical level. I had no idea. I was clueless as to what pregnancy, labor, birth really are. And I will say that I also didn't go looking for that education either. And I do, of course, take responsibility um, and hold myself accountable for that. Um, It is, number one, first and foremost, my responsibility. But from my nursing experience and and from the nursing education that I got, I know for a fact how huge of an emphasis on patient education they make. And while I was saying, where in your job description does it say that, you know, to be judgmental of people and to, to hold, to project your biases and, uh, prejudices on people it doesn't say that but it literally is part of your job to educate patients that is part of your job um so I had a tremendous uh absence of that a total absence of that in my care um and so they didn't have the time to to you know, prepare me to, to even say like, Hey, um, you know, these are some childbirth education classes or like some resources or anything. They didn't, uh, encourage me to do it myself either. They're like, the conversation just did not happen. And so they didn't have the time or the care to, uh, educate me, let alone have a conversation with me. But, you know, they did have time for, um, (laughs) They had time to uh, write in big, fat, bold letters in all capitals, teen pregnancy across the top of uh, my flow sheet in my chart. And I will never forget the day that I was sitting there getting my blood pressure taken and right in front of me, my open chart just screamed teen pregnancy all over the place now like coming again from the place where this was an intentional pregnancy and a wanted baby I'm sure you could imagine how terrible that felt and um how animalistic it was in a sense um it it stripped me of my humanity 
was not the same as any other woman walking through that office who was seen as being an an appropriate age to be pregnant. And so I was unhealthy at the time with all these things, Um, my diet, uh, my lack of education and all of the all of these things that I just mentioned, I was unhealthy. And so I did um, start to notice in the third trimester, um, swelling in my ankles and my feet, which of course, to some degree can be normal. And it was summer. And you know, that can exacerbate, exacerbate, (laughs) exacerbates. It can make that kind of thing worse. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, but those kind of symptoms, um, are worsened in the summer heat, especially in the humidity where I was. And I brought this to my provider's attention, or at least I, I tried to, and I was just basically completely ignored and told that it was normal. Um, and it continued for weeks and eventually I started having what's called labile blood pressures, which is when your blood pressure kind of like changes and goes from being normal to abnormal and kind of fluctuates. And so that continued for uh, a while. And eventually it became borderline blood pressure. So meaning that it was uh, on the higher end of normal and it just never went back down to normal. It was, um, so hypertension is considered a, a reading, a blood pressure reading of 140 over 90 or higher. And so, and normal is 120 over 80. It's like, you know, um, or a, a little lower than that is also normal, normal as well. And So my blood pressure was consistently in the 130s over 80s. And that is absolutely not normal for me. And again, I had expressed that I knew what my blood pressure was uh, normally. And regardless of that, it was very clear that that was not my baseline blood pressure starting out in this pregnancy. So again, that just went kind of ignored and not discussed with me. And so the weeks continued and the swelling in my feet and my ankles reached my calves, uh, basically my entire leg. And it was really, really bad. Um, Again, I kept trying to, you know, express my concerns with these doctors and I was totally and completely ignored. Um, Brushed off like, oh, it's normal. You're pregnant. Hello, your body's going to change. But again, they wouldn't tell me how. And this was also like before the internet was like really accessible. It was like we were just getting into that time. Um, So like I didn't have the resources that we had today. And so I really could have used the guidance of a nurse or a doctor or anybody. And, um, so I was really stressed. Um, and then, 
at just before 36 weeks, I also got into a really bad car accident. My car was actually totaled and um, I, I stopped working at that point and um, I was, it just added to my stress as you could imagine. So you can factor that into everything. Um, two weeks later, I actually had thought that I was leaking amniotic fluid. I thought that um, I was trickling fluid. And looking back, I can see that it was just the normal increase of vaginal discharge that you get at the end of pregnancy. Like, that's a thing. Some women don't notice it. Some women notice it a lot. It can be super annoying, super annoying, or it could be absolutely nothing. And for me, it was super annoying. So... I didn't know that at the time because, again, I was not told that that was normal. Um, I was not told what to look for, what um, the end of pregnancy could look like. Um, I was not told when to call the office. Uh, I was not told what uh, the beginning of labor could look like and, um, you know, anything about contractions or timing them or any of that. None of it was discussed with me. And so I went into the office and my blood pressure was the same, you know, um, in the high 130s and 80s, over 80s. And this time the doctor did see the swelling in my feet. And now I'll even add to that within this time, my mother actually even had been with me on more than one occasion and having been through her own pregnancies and given birth in her to her own children had said this swelling in her feet is not normal like it's not it's not right something's not right and even with my mother um they kind of like shunned her and completely ignored her it would not look at my feet would not do it um it's actually kind of mind-blowing but so But this time, the doctor happened to catch a glimpse of my feet because my legs happened to be up (laughs) and um, in her view. But she still didn't make a big deal out of it. She really didn't have anything to say about it. But then she, she goes on to perform the most excruciating vaginal exam that I have ever had to date ever in my life and I've seen enough you know uh, checks like these exams like these to know that it typically does not go down that way I mean like I was in such agony that I was rolling almost rolling off of the exam table it was I can still feel it in my body um, the violation and just the the pain and not seeing it coming because, again, it was not explained to me what was happening or what she was doing or why. She said, "Oh, I'll see. I'll check and see if you you're leaking fluid," and she lifted my baby's head up all different ways. She she moved him around inside of me, and. It was just all that I could do to to stay 
on the table just stay on the table let alone uh, stay silent which I absolutely could not do it was terrifying and it feels it feels like I mean less now I guess but certainly at the time it felt like I was being punished um, for wasting her time because she knew damn well that I was not leaking fluid you know a lot of the um, exams that I have seen especially in the office like if she really was concerned that I was leaking amniotic fluid she would have sent me to the hospital that's first and foremost but the exams that I've seen like usually like they might use a speculum just to look and see but like they never ever perform such a gruesome exam on someone who thinks that their water has broken um in the office at least and that is again I'm not I shouldn't say that 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 doesn't happen but it's not typical for it to be that extreme um And it also, um, in reflecting on that, it also felt that without my consent, that she was attempting to sort of induce labor based on the symptoms that she finally was willing to look at that were clearly in front of her the whole time, especially coupled with my blood pressure readings that were documented all throughout my chart and she just simply did not want to own this or have that conversation um, because that puts the liability on them and it's a hard conversation to have so I did in fact start having contractions during the middle of the night and by eight o'clock the next morning I was walking into the hospital and I will never ever forget this is the most I mean it's it's just you've you can't make this shit up I walked into the hospital with my mother and my partner at the time and the security guard at the desk points to me from like feet away points to me out of like everybody walking in in through into this hospital points at me and is like come here and I'm like all right so we go right up to the desk and now I'm like all excited I think I'm having a baby and like I'm very happy and and she's like where are you going why are you here and I looked down at my stomach and I said well I think I'm having a baby <laughs> and this woman called labor and delivery and says yeah I have so-and-so here she says that you're expecting her like just like that and I was like what planet am I on we all just kind of looked at each other like this can't be real life like what but it's that same same sense of of authority that same savior complex. I'm gonna stop everybody who's not supposed to come into the hospital from entering. Ooh, 
Yeah, you're a big bad gatekeeper of the hospital doorway. And it's just so ridiculous. It's like everywhere from, you know, no matter what position you are in at the hospital, you can see, you can see it clearly. It's really like just written on the walls. And so I finally get up to triage. My, uh, I, and my, my partner and my mother are not allowed to accompany me at this point. I'm completely by myself. They strap me to the monitor, the fetal heart monitor. And as soon as they do, my contractions just completely stop. And this was after hours of having uh, consistent contractions. So I was quite confused, but it all kind of makes sense now in the grand scheme of things. Um, but this doctor, and I don't remember if she was, uh, I'm pretty sure she was a resident at the point. This was a university hospital, so residents, medical students, anybody that really wants to show up um, kind of walks through the door. And so it was this resident who saw my feet, who really saw my feet. And so if you know anything about edema, I'm talking like legitimate four plus pitted edema all the way up to my knees. It was bad. At my, well, I, I, like the a week or two before when I had my baby shower, my best friend was trying to be like nice and like rub my feet for me and she was almost vomiting. It was really gross. It was very uncomfortable. I was in a lot of pain. My legs hurt. I could not even really walk without being in pain and nobody wanted to hear me. They chose to ignore me. And so my my blood pressure at that point had been technically hypertensive. It was in the 140s over 90s. And so, of course, they induced me um, for pregnancy-induced hypertension. And I, I, I wonder if I had been educated... I'm sure that that could have been avoided. I, I know it could have been avoided. Um, if I, I knew really how to take care of myself and really like understood the demands of my body and the importance of nurturing myself as an expectant mother. Um, but that just was not uh, provided for me or um, encouraged of me, as I said before. And so during my labor there, there were also issues. Um, one being that um, they did break my water uh, at whatever point, and after which they placed um, an intrauterine pressure catheter, which is uh, a device that they put inside the uterus um, to uh, get more accurate readings of your contractions when for whatever reason the external monitor is not doing good enough for them i guess so like yeah 
So the problem with this is that I never gave consent for that. I never gave consent to have that catheter placed. Never. As a matter of fact, the nurse that placed the catheter inside of my uterus did so as she was saying, okay, I'm going to put this in and this is, you know, going to tell me what your contractions are doing. She never said, I, I did not get the risks, the benefits, the alternatives. I did not get the, the chance to think about it. I did not get the, um, the needed information to make an informed choice. Absolutely. And I absolutely did not consent to that. So it's a big takeaway. Okay. If somebody is, if you find yourself in any position, whether, I don't know, whatever the situation is, birth or otherwise, if somebody is doing something that you're uncomfortable with, you don't know, you're not sure about in real time, and they're just kind of rushing you through it, just stop them. Just say, whoa, now, what's all this then? You deserve it. And there's no reason to, to, um, to rush things. And there's absolutely no reason to, um, withhold information from you. Um, and the other thing is that like I said, there was, this was a university hospital. So, you know, of course the attending was like, Oh, we've got some medical students. Do you mind if they, you know, and first of all, it was not presented to me in a way that made me feel as if I had a choice. Um, and I also was kind of expecting like, all right, well maybe one or two people show up like, whatever. I I didn't, the person that I was back then didn't really care about that. But when I tell you that my baby is born and I look up and there are half a dozen strangers in the room, that is not including my nurses. That is not including my doctor. That is not including, um, the pediatrician. I mean, it was a room full of strangers and it just it was not explained to me in the way it should have been explained to me um and the biggest thing is that nobody ever told me i had a choice nobody ever told me i had a choice with any of these things even with the induction going in with my swelling with this with that what was said initially when I was still in, in, in triage, when that resident finally was, and she was horrified at my feet. As a a matter of fact, her reaction to seeing my feet was very, um, it was, was throwing accusations at me, um, in a way that she did not think that I had talked to my provider about this about the swelling in my legs and her reaction was well you didn't tell your doctor that your feet look like this like no I tried for like the past month to tell my doctor that my feet were like this and I was ignored I was I was told that this was normal in pregnancy 
Um, and, but even, even then I wasn't told like, yeah, these are the risks, benefits, and alternatives of getting an induction. They were like, we're inducing you and you're not going home. That's how it was presented to me. And that's unacceptable. Regardless of, you know, how old you are. And on the other side of the spectrum, uh, on, you know, what they, they call you uh, elderly um, and advanced maternal age. And then they also, they assume because you are older that you know everything. And so you also see the same issues in uh, older pregnant women that they're not getting the education that they deserve and they're not having the conversations that they need and their needs are not being met because people are making assumptions about, uh, about them based simply based on their age. They are just another number on a sheet of paper, or another number on a screen, just like people who are heavier in their weights. They're just another number. That's all they see is your weight. That's all they see is your age. And it's something that needs to be dismantled and, and, and fixed. It needs to be addressed. Um, I had even bigger problems in my opinion uh, within my second pregnancy and I had already gone through nursing school with my second pregnancy and my first pregnancy was before I, I went to nursing school and became a nurse I really did not know anything um, and my second pregnancy was different in that I I had I was already a nurse and I had that education um, but even th- even that, like, I still really didn't understand pregnancy or birth, you know, and especially being that, you know, it is all physical, you know, physical, uh, how your body works and, um, in, in the form of like, of mechanics and based on pathology and, There is no mention of the spiritual. There is no mention of the emotional, the mental, you know. And they may throw in like a few paragraphs about uh, other cultures and how they view birth, which is completely based in racism. It is just remarkable how these textbooks, how these textbooks are worded it's unbelievable unbelievable the things that they say about other races and other religions and other beliefs that um again it's just putting something on paper there is no humanity behind it um and it's really disheartening but that's how they train nurses that's how they train medical professionals Um, and anyway, so I started my second pregnancy off, uh, believe it or not in that same practice as my first. And I did that because I liked one of the doctors in the practices. And that is an absolutely terrible idea just because you like one doctor. Um, it's a terrible idea. 
you likely will not end up getting that doctor at your birth because it's just a roulette game. And anyway, so around 20 weeks, I did end up changing practices. I had had enough of that, um, that practice. And so I didn't have any issues during my pregnancy. I was pretty healthy. It was working. Um, I was working full time. And so at 36 weeks, though, I started having contractions. And so I went into the hospital for a labor check and they gave me this injection of Toradol. And Toradol is a category C uh, medication drug in pregnancy. It's not indicated for pregnancy, for use in pregnancy. And so the nurse that gave this to me just said, okay, I'm going to give this to you now. And I had worked with Toradol um, in the office that I was working at. I had worked, um, I had given Toradol to to patients for gynecological procedures but never in pregnancy and so I wasn't really familiar with it in pregnancy again this nurse did not tell me that it was a category C medication Um, she only told me as she was giving me the injection that it just is gonna you know kind of rule out false if you're in false labor it will stop it so what it does is it just kind of softens the uterus and and lets makes the uterus relax so you don't contract anymore so if you're not in true labor right um it will stop the nurse that gave this injection to me happened to be one of my nursing instructors in school yeah Yep. And she just stuck me with this needle, assuming that I knew all of these things about Toradol and pregnancy, which I didn't. Um, and so it did stop. I did go home and um, then at 37 weeks and five days, so about two weeks later, I started having contractions again. Went back into the hospital. They strapped me to the monitor. And eventually I fell asleep. And I woke up in the morning, uh, you know, and I was like kind of disgruntled and frustrated because I was like, why, you know, what is happening? I was really confused. I didn't like understand what my body was doing or why it was coming and going so strongly like it was. And, um, And so the doctor came in and checked my cervix and I was like a whole centimeter dilated uh, more than I was when I came in. When I came in, they gave me a vaginal exam and I was um, two centimeters dilated. So I wasn't really having contractions. Like I said, I fell asleep. Uh, You know, as a matter of fact, the only reason I woke up was because I heard somebody else in labor in the room next to me. And... So congratulations, you've made it to three centimeters. You're, you made it a whole one centimeter more and you're in labor. You know, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to send me home. Nope. Let's get this baby out. You're in labor. Okay. And I'm like, um, 
all right. So they augmented my labor with Pitocin. And um, a few hours later, I got an epidural that didn't take to the right side of my body. And nobody believed me when I told them that I felt everything on the right side of my body. I finally convinced them that this was the case and the anesthesiologist finally comes back and adjusts it and now I have total dead leg on the left side and my right leg is just like I'm I can move it just fine and I feel everything and I was not prepared for that at all I was not prepared to feel the sensations like that wasn't prepared to really feel the sensations of birth, period, because I had planned on having an epidural. But that is one of the risks of getting an epidural is that sometimes they don't work or they do not work the way they are meant to work. Among many other serious, serious things, other risks that can come up from getting an epidural that I'm not going to get into right now. Um, and so a few hours later, I I was of course not progressing fast enough for them. They were very busy that day. Uh, every room on labor and delivery was full. And so they broke my water and soon after my water broke, I felt the urge to push. And I was expressing this to my nurse who did not believe me, did not believe me at all. Uh, It was too soon. They just checked you. You're not, you know, it's not time yet. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So this continues for a while. And um, I eventually convinced her that I, I felt the urge to push enough to where she said, And this is where this reel, this Instagram reel, um, sparked these, all of these memories. And she said, okay, well, let's check your cervix. And so she puts her little glove on and she comes over and she sits on the bed and she goes to do a vaginal exam and she doesn't even get her fingers inside of me because my baby is basically there. And she jumps up from the bed and goes, oh, okay, oh, um, I'll call the doctor. Okay, you do that. How about you take this catheter out of me before you rupture my urethra also? That would be grand. Um, Because I had been telling her for at least half an hour that I needed to push. And my baby came very quickly after that. Um, But the doctor was caught in an emergency cesarean section in the OR and so I had not only my bedside nurse but I had the nurse manager in my room as well standing as far away from me as possible with their hand with their arms crossed backs up against the wall telling me not to push And they actually raised their voices at me 
and yelled at me not to push. As my baby was crowning, um, and my son stayed there crowning for the better part of 15 minutes while I completely detached from my body and did what I was told to do. And by the time the doctor came in, I could not push. I had no idea what to do. Remember that the epidural did not take to the whole right side of my body. So um, I was not prepared to deal with that, those sensations as well. And I had no idea what to do. I was caught somewhere between hyperventilating and not knowing how to breathe. And I panicked thinking that I could not get my baby out. And so the doctor turned to me and like really sternly says, I just need one good push. And I did. And my baby was born. In chaos and confusion, and and trauma, and real, real trauma, and the most tragic part of that for me is that these doctors, this practice that I entrusted to care for me and my baby were my employers at the time. I worked for these people. I worked with these people every day. And I thought I had a relationship with them that was much more than it really was. And I realized that I was just another body taking up space in labor and delivery on a very busy day. Um, They rushed my labor because their time is more valuable to them than my experience and my humanity. And the consequences of this experience and these choices were detrimental to my overall well-being um, especially my mental health and regardless of that I am so grateful for these things I am so grateful so 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 grateful because this is where my journey began. This is what has shaped me into who I am. This is what has put me on this path. This, these events have put into perspective issues that have been handed down through 
generations. Generations. I am not the first, and I unfortunately will not be the last woman to experience this and and much more and much more and in my bloodline every woman in my immediate in my recent family has been taught this that birth is medical that you rely on a doctor or on a nurse you rely on them to tell you what to do and it's in our blood because of that it's handed down to us um, in our blood and and our cells we begin our existence here in this realm as an ovum we start as an egg we start as an egg within our mother while she is in the womb of her mother while she is in the womb of our grandmother. And that is a concept, a big concept of where, uh, of how we accrue generational trauma um, as women. Um, it is absolutely something that affects us on a cellular level. That energy exchange while we are there to that degree within our grandmothers and it may be a strange concept to you and you certainly don't have to agree to it but it's something to think about because when does it stop when when does it stop how does it stop um it's just something for you to think about and above everything else use your voice please use your voice listen to your inner voice be your own guide listen to your intuition if something doesn't feel right to you say something ask the questions ask the questions because it happens all the time. They don't educate you. They don't have the time or the care to sit down to, with you and explain things to you for whatever reason. Ask the questions and I hope that you enjoyed and I thank you so deeply for, for sharing this moment with me. Um, I've worked a lot through these things and I just want to say that if you are experiencing something like this now or if you have experienced this um, in the past, I see you and I, I, I know that these things are out there. Um, speak on it, reach out, you know, I'm, I'm uh, out on the internet out on the interwebs and you can find me on my website uh, earthsidebirth.org and reach out reach out if you if you want to speak on this um, because there are people that will hear you and will sit with you and will witness you and 
there is so much power in that in being seen there's so much power in being seen um you just need the opportunity and with that i wish you well and blessed be friends